Legacy Podcasts present Torque, a novel by Ty Drago, performed for you by the author, and featuring music by Nicholas Allen Nelson. The 43rd Cog. Ainsley and Lucy both started running, though it quickly became obvious that Lucy was faster. By the time Ainsley reached the nave, Lucy was already there, spotted the cathedral's exit on the left, and headed for it with a dismayed cry of, How big is this place? As Ainsley turned the same corner, she spotted Julia frantically pulling open the double doors and disappearing out into the upper's afternoon. Lucy was close behind. Ainsley raced after them, the day's exhaustion slowing her steps. She hoped someone was looking after Gerard. An instant later, a bell tolled. No. Gasping, Ainsley crossed the vestibule and stumbled through the open doorway. Ahead, fifteen yards along the manicured path, Julia was ringing the keeper bell. Her perfectly coiffed hair looked disheveled as she tugged with desperate fury on the bell rope. Another toll, then another. Lucy charged the upper girl. Don't you touch me, Julia screamed at her. You filthy bowels rat! I'm better than you and you're not allowed to... Lucy punched her in the mouth. There was a lot behind that blow. Anger, terror, and a lifetime of resentment. Julia staggered back, blood and teeth exploding from her mouth, her eyes wide with shock. The lower girl closed in, fists raised. Lucy, Ainsley called. To her surprise, Lucy paused, looking back at her. Her eyes blazed, and her cheeks were so red that her freckles had vanished. Then Ainsley heard a whistle. A brace of keepers, who had either been on patrol or were part of an active search, had heard the bell and spotted them. Ainsley! She turned to see Penelope waving to her from the cathedral entrance, Gerard in her arms and the giants behind her. You there, a keeper called from the street. Stay where you are. Lucy, come on. The lower girl loomed over the hurt and terrified Julia. Then, with visible effort, she dragged herself away and ran with Ainsley back to the church. More whistles blew. Then one of the keepers cried, Here! They're in the cathedral! Meanwhile, Julia shrieked tearfully, That bell's right hit me. She hurt me. Then Sister Norris shut the heavy door behind them, cutting off all sound. You're safe in here, Matron Barrett said. Jai gives you sanctuary. Ainsley looked at Penelope, who seemed to have actually shrunken before her eyes. Ainsley, I'm sorry. It's not your fault, Pen. She's my sister. I know. I wish I'd hit her harder, Lucy remarked. A pounding on the door made all of them jump. Sister Norris looked at the matron. The goddess says we must allow in any who call. No, Barrett corrected. We must greet any who call. Then she stepped through the anxious group and pushed aside a sliding panel in the right-hand door, revealing a square of sunlight. Stoically, she asked, What can I do for you, keepers? Surrender them, matron, someone replied through the tiny gap. Miss Pinkerton and her friend have been granted sanctuary. If Commandant Gammon would care to meet with me to discuss the matter, I'm sure... Our orders are clear, the keeper replied flatly. If necessary, we will force our way inside. You certainly will not, Barrett replied, matching his tone. This building belongs to the goddess and, by law, is outside the keep's jurisdiction. Matron, the keeper said more respectfully, I've no desire to damage this cathedral, and I certainly don't want harm to come to you or your ladies. But Proctor Baird herself has mandated that laws hindering the recapture of the fugitives are to be set aside. Set aside, Barrett echoed, incredulous. What does that even mean? Please, matron, don't fight us on this. I will fight you, Keeper. I will fight you with every fiber of my being. Then she slammed the little door and faced the others. This church is ancient, with the strongest steel hidden beneath its silver veneer. 
Even if Commandant Gammon is insane enough to attempt a siege, he can't breach our walls. The acolytes looked relieved. So did Penelope and even Lucy. But Ainsley was remembering. Sister Chatham, Barrett said. Please keep watch from the bell tower. Call down if you see something worth reporting. Yes, matron, one of the acolytes replied, hurrying toward a side door in the vestibule. This is lunacy, Sister Norris insisted. What's the Commandant thinking? I don't know, Matron Barrett admitted. Ainsley said, Gammon's lost his mind. He murdered my father and our butler's entire family, and he sent a monster down the drop to slaughter the lower folk. The goddess would never approve of such a thing, declared Sister Norris. I'm not too thrilled with it myself, Lucy muttered. And they really kill Lord Pinkerton? An acolyte asked in a shocked whisper. I saw it, Ainsley replied. So did poor Gerard. All because our father opposed Project Vindicator. The matron looked pointedly at her. Perhaps, but only partly. Partly, Lucy asked. Ainsley nodded miserably. And because I decided to play Crusader, like my mother did. Dung, Lucy spat. Forget what Baird told you back in our cell. In the end, they'd have deaded him anyway. He owned that newspaper you upper folk like so much, as well as the market criers. Control them, and Baird controls what everyone knows. Now she can spin things any way she wants. But Ainsley barely heard her. Suddenly, all the terror and guilt, oh, Jai, the guilt, seemed to crash down on her all at once. Ainsley's entire body began to tremble. Arms encircled her. She looked up to find the matron's silvery robes enfolding her like a blanket. Barrett whispered, Your mother and I were good friends in school. I liked her, and I respected her determination to help the lower folk. And I know she's very proud of you today, child. She's smiling down at you from the arms of Jai. The weight lessened. It didn't disappear completely. Ainsley doubted if it ever would. But it definitely lessened. With a kiss to Ainsley's forehead, the matron stepped back. However, I'm afraid you and Miss Stamper may be underestimating Edith Baird. She's always been ambitious, but in recent years her ambition has turned into something darker. She and Commandant Gammon have clearly been planning this day for a long time, and this horrible culling may only be part of it. I don't understand, Ainsley said, but apparently Lucy did. Baird wants it all. The uppers, too. The whole machine. Barrett nodded gravely. Ainsley tried to ken this. But she's an elected official. She's been proctor for twenty years, the matron replied. People who wield power for that long can grow addicted to it, become convinced they deserve it. I think all this may be a coup. But she can't just declare herself empress, Ainsley protested. There's a parliament. If she has the keep's backing, it might be possible. She might have more than that, Lucy remarked. She faced Ainsley. Didn't you say there was a third vindicator? At that moment, a ringing pierced the surrounding silence. The Gabba phone, Sister Nora said nervously. Barrett led them back into the nave. There, tucked inconspicuously in an alcove, a small silver Gabba phone chimed loudly. Ainsley was surprised. Traditionally, Jaiism frowned on Mech, but it seemed modern times had taken their toll. The matron was known to be progressive. Barrett lifted the receiver to her ear. Yes, sister. As she listened, the look on her face told Ainsley the news wasn't good. When she hung up, Barrett was grim. It seems the Commandant is coming personally, but not alone. He's bringing along a contingent of at least thirty keepers, according to Sister Cheltam. And, her words trailed off, and, Lucy pressed, and a monster, Barrett replied. A huge, mechanical rat. They fixed it, Ainsley gasped. 
It won't get in, Sister Nora said firmly. The walls are too strong. That thing was designed to eat through walls thicker than these, Ainsley said. Nearby, Gerard whimpered. The little boy was holding Penelope's hand, his eyes wide with fear. Ainsley opened her arms and he ran to her. She scooped him up. He was heavy, but she bore it. After all, he was all the family she had now. I want father, the boy whispered. I know. Me too. Lucy ruffled Gerard's hair. Don't worry, Ludling, she told him. Torque's on his way. He looked at her, his eyes glistening. Are you sure? I'm sure. Ainsley wished she was. To Barrett, she said, I need to see what's happening. The matron nodded, and handing Gerard to Lucy, Ainsley hurried back to the vestibule. Once there, she opened the spy hole and peered through. What she saw froze the blood in her veins. Rat was there, as large and menacing as ever. Walking beside it, dwarfed by its size, Gammon seemed to be whispering to it, giving instructions, issuing orders. She'd hoped the Commandant might try to negotiate, if nothing else that would buy them some time. But instead, he led Rat to the edge of the Cathedral's property. Then he marched back to the ranks of keepers filling the street. More than thirty. More like sixty. Plus that thing. Finally, Gammon pointed at the Cathedral doors. Then he shouted a single word, his voice loud enough to reach Ainsley's ears. Attack! Rat, its fiery eyes blazing, bounded forward. Terror, like a shock of electricity, raced up Ainsley's back. Instinctively, she recoiled as the Vindicator filled her line of sight, blocking out all daylight as it approached at a full run. Then it seemed as if the cathedral was shaken by a gigantic hand. Ainsley lost her balance and fell, landing in a heap on the vestibule floor, her ears ringing from the crash of impact. The double doors bent inward, groaning against the assault. A second later, sharp steel fangs punctured the polished metal, gouging huge, jagged slashes as they scissored downward. Ainsley scrambled backward, her breathing ragged. Peripherally, she spotted Sister Chelton returning through the belfry door, looking winded from racing down the stairs. "'Child!' she called. "'Run!' Ainsley struggled to her feet as Rat's jaws tore away the cathedral doors, threshold and all. For a second, one of its burning eyes peered in at her. Then the teeth were back, rending and tearing, widening the jagged hole, its massive snout working its way inside. "'Run!' Sister Cheldam called again. Then to Ainsley's horror, the acolyte rushed up and placed herself between Rat and the upper girl. "'This is Jai's house, you abomination! You will not!' With a final heave, Rat surged forward and clamped its jaws around Sister Cheldam's slight body. The acolyte didn't even scream. Ainsley did. The Vindicator, its snout now bloodied, advanced further. First one of its huge claws, and then another reached inside, scrambling for purchase, iron talons ripping huge furrows in the smooth floor. Ainsley knew she should run, but the shock had frozen her in place. Meanwhile, Rat surged again, coming within ten feet, then five, its eyes like fiery spears. Someone grabbed her hand. Lucy began dragging Ainsley backward. Behind the lower girl, Ainsley spotted the giants looking on desperately. Gerard, now in Penelope's arms, screamed and reached for his sister. That snapped her out of her paralysis. She followed Lucy toward the nave, the ruined doorway at their back. But Rat surged again, striking a glancing blow that knocked both girls off their feet and sent them sprawling across the vestibule floor. The Vindicator, perhaps sensing victory, uttered an otherworldly squeal. Then it pounced on them both, its teeth like swords, and stopped. Lucy and Ainsley, tangled together on the floor, watched the monster's fiery eyes widen with something like confusion. Then it was jerked backward with astonishing force, uttering a bellow of alarm so loud that the walls shook. Desperately, it clawed at the floor, tearing long, deep furrows in the steel, but gaining no purchase. It was jerked backward again. 
Ainsley and Lucy climbed unsteadily to their feet. Rat's eyes still blazed, but their fury and triumph were gone, replaced by astonishment and maybe even fear. With a final, tremendous tug, it was pulled back through the jagged hole, disappearing into the afternoon sunshine. Out and up. Lucy and Ainsley hurried to the ruins of the cathedral doors, ignoring Penelope and Matron Barrett's warnings. Together they peered outside, blinking against the glare. The grounds were covered with keepers, but none of them took any notice of the girls. Their collective attention was pointed skyward, at Rat, whose front claws had just left the roof of the machine. Tork had it by the tail. The lower's champion was flying straight up, straining but gaining altitude, lifting the massive indicator foot by foot, yard by yard, into the sky. He made no clever quip. In fact, he said nothing at all. He wasn't that kind of torque. Instead, he just kept going, flying steadily higher, his golden armor glistening like a flaming torch. Twenty feet. Thirty. Forty. Shoot him! Gammon screamed, and the keepers tried, but they had no target. The man-made monster was in the way. Not that it would have mattered. Sixty feet. Seventy. Torque stopped, hovering. Below him, Rat squealed and squirmed, its four legs kicking wildly. But its protests were pointless. Escape had been taken off the table. This was simply panic. How can a mechanism panic? Ainsley wondered. Wordlessly as ever, Torque released it. Rat thundered down, falling six full stories before slamming headfirst into the street in front of the cathedral grounds. There it shattered, pieces of it flying every which way, sending the keepers scattering. The noise roared like a thunderclap. The entire cathedral seemed to shake. But then it was over, and Rat wasn't simply broken, like last night. It was obliterated. A second later, billows of hot steam flooded the street, scattering the keepers further. Through it, someone yelled, Girl! Gammon emerged from the plumes, his face red and blistered, his eyes wild with outrage as he charged the cathedral. Unlike Rat, he had no steel doors to contend with, just a brace of teenage girls. Before either could react, the commandant shoved Lucy over the threshold and into the vestibule. Instinctively, Ainsley grabbed his arm, but he backhanded her, knocking her to the floor. Ainsley heard Gerard scream and Barrett protest. Then she watched Gammon level his pistol at Lucy's face. But an instant before he fired, a gilded hand landed on his shoulder and spun him violently around. You! Gammon exclaimed. Me! Torque replied. Then he brought his fist up under the commandant's chin. The blow lifted the Upper Lord completely off his feet. The 44th Cog Rand studied Gammon, who lay down and done with a broken nose on the polished floor of this ridiculously beautiful building. Lucy and Ainsley stood beside him, both surprisingly unharmed. Nearby was Penelope Crowley, holding Gerard Pinkerton, as well as a bunch of upper lasses wearing silver dresses. All of them were staring at him. It made him self-conscious. Almost without thinking, he reached down and collected Gammon's fallen pistol. Then, taking it in both hands, he wrung it like an old rag, the steel barrel twisting in his gold-laden fists almost that easily. As he did this, Lucy stepped up to him, gingerly touching his mask. The last time I saw you, she said, it wasn't too... I mean, I thought maybe I was dreaming what I saw, but now... Rand, how'd you do this? I opened a lot of mind doors, he replied. What? Later. Ainsley asked, How did you find us? Wasn't hard. We'd come up the drop and were flying around when I spotted Rat trying to dig his way in here. Didn't seem too big a jump to guess why. Lucy asked, Who's we? Inwardly, Rand cringed. But awful as it would be, she had to be told. He turned and called, 
Come on in. Jad peeked his head around the edge of the ruined door, gaping with awestruck astonishment at the building's interior. Rand couldn't blame him. This place, whatever it was, made even Ainsley's lavish home look humble by comparison. He'd never imagined so much silver existed. Jad? Lucy asked. Her eyes went from Rand to the Ludling and back again. Then, as Jad stepped nervously aside and spotted his mama, he rushed forward and threw his arms around her neck. Lucy hugged him fiercely, though her gaze remained glued on Rand. Grabber attacked the middle market, Rand said, his mouth going dry. I got there as fast as I could, but... But, the girl demanded, I wasn't fast enough, he replied, the words catching. It deaded Jared, Jad wailed, holding Lucy tighter. Rand beat it, but it killed my brother. Lucy's face crumpled and she sank to her knees, bringing the Ludling with her. Together they cried, with everyone around them looking on in shocked horror. Ainsley whispered, I'm so sorry. Rand knelt down beside them. I failed you, he whispered. She didn't reply. She didn't even look at him. Where's Grabber? Ainsley asked faintly. Wrecked, he replied, but not before he killed dozens of lower folk. He felt sick, racked with shame and despair. He'd have buried his face in his hands if only to make the machine and its terrors disappear for a while, if both his hands and face weren't sheathed in gold, in torque. It's my fault, he said. He started to rise. Lucy caught his wrist. The anguish on her face seemed to mirror Rand's own. Their ludling was gone because he had been slow. You didn't dead him, she said, and despite her tears, her voice was steady and resolute. You didn't send that monster down there. Miss Stamper's correct. Penelope Crowley and the silver-clad upper lasses all approached. The oldest of them, evidently in charge, was the one who'd spoken. Don't take on someone else's blame, young man. Jai teaches us that we make our own choices and what others choose is and must be outside of our reach. I should have been faster, Rand muttered. Could you have been? He considered. Nope. And so. Rand straightened, feeling Lucy's hand slide from his wrist. The silver lasses gathered around him. Who are you? One of them asked. Listening to Lucy. His Lucy. Sob, he replied. I'm Tork. Tork is a myth, one of them declared. A particularly hard-faced lass. A child story. A pattern of stars in the sky. He's not real. Jai would never permit it, another one said with surprising vehemence. Ainsley remarked, But Jai does permit little boys to be murdered by iron monsters? The upper lasses fell into a sullen silence. All but the one in charge who nodded thoughtfully. Perhaps we don't know the goddess's intentions as well as we'd like to think. Tork, I'm Matron Barrett, and this is the most venerated cathedral to Jai. Thank you for saving it. And us. Rand didn't reply. I promise you, the matron declared. Henry Gammon will pay for what he's done. Yeah, Lucy said. He will. Rand turned to see Lucy standing over Gammon, leveling a pistol at the old Lud's head. Since the Commandant's own weapon was a twisted wreck on the floor, Rand had no idea where she'd gotten this one. Jed, his cheeks wet with tears, watched from nearby, his expression dark. Gammon, having regained some degree of awareness, lay sprawled on the floor. One hand held feebly up, as if it could ward off a bullet. Lucy, Rand exclaimed, don't. He killed our Ludling, Lucy cried, her voice ringing off the metal walls. I can, he told her, but Torque doesn't dead. Well, Lucy Stamper does, she replied, pressing the gun's barrel against Gammon's temple and cocking it. The commandant flinched and recoiled, but really had nowhere to go. Wisely, he didn't beg or threaten. 
In fact, he didn't speak at all. Killing because it suits you, Rand said, struggling to keep his voice calm. That's their way, not ours. He'll get what he deserves, but not like this. Not by you. Why not? Lucy demanded, crying openly now. Because it'll haunt you. You'll tell yourself it was justified, but the solid truth is you'll have murdered an unarmed man. And that's not something you can ever come back from. Jared's gone. This won't change that. He'll get away with it, she wailed. Upper lords get away with everything. No, he won't, Matron Barrett said calmly. Miss Stamper, Jai is a goddess of truth and justice. Lucy sneered. So what? I don't believe in your goddess. I believe in Root. A couple of the other women gasped, but the matron silenced them with a backward glare. Either way, I swear to you by my deity and yours that Henry Gammon will answer for what he's done. Today his monster attacked the goddess's house and killed one of my acolytes. For that and much more he'll be excommunicated, disavowed and disgraced, made a public pariah and charged with mass murder. Then, after a fair and truthful trial, he'll be found guilty and sentenced to hang. Dung, Lucy spat. He'll hide behind Baird, and no one else has the clout to stop him. I do, Barrett said. I'm the spiritual leader of the machine. No, Rand interjected, you're not. Nobody below the uppers cares about you or your church. He half expected Barrett to disagree, but she didn't. Granted. But here, in the uppers, my word carries considerable weight. I promise you I can see justice done. Please, Lucy, Rand said. Jad needs his mama, and I need my partner. If you do this, none of us will ever heal. Lucy looked at Ainsley. What do you think I should do? Rand was stunned. The Lucy Stamper he knew would cut off her own arm before asking advice from an upper lass. But Ainsley answered at once. He murdered my father. And Frederick and Eunice. Yeah, he did. But if I had that gun, I still wouldn't kill him. Lucy scowled. Why not? Ainsley replied, Because I'd kill Baird instead. Ainsley, Rand snapped. She ignored him, her eyes locked on the lower lass. As bad as Gammon and his keepers are, they're just tools, like the Vindicators. Baird's the one in charge, the proctor who would be queen. She's the real monster. Kill her and all this horror comes crashing down. She pointed at Gammon, but killing him changes nothing. Lucy stared at her, considering, and with a shuddering sigh, she lowered the gun. Gammon moved with surprising speed for an injured man. Grabbing Lucy's wrist, he jumped to his feet and forced the gun from her grasp. Then he spun her around and pressed it to the lower girl's temple. Nobody move. Nobody moved. You, Torque, Rand said nothing. Remove your armor. Why, Rand asked. So I can shoot you in the head, the commandant screamed. If you don't, you can watch this bowels rat's brains get splattered across the floor. Rand still didn't move. Inside his head, unbidden, another door had opened. I'll do it, Gammon declared. No, you won't. Rand raised one gilded hand. The pistol jumped from Gammon's grasp and flew the dozen feet between them, landing in Rand's palm with a dull clank. Then, casually, he closed his hand, crushing the weapon in his fist. Gammon stared at him in utter disbelief. How did you do that? Ainsley asked. Magnetism, Rand replied. But gold isn't magnetic, she protested. It is, Rand said, never taking his eyes from Gammon, if I say it is. Lucy's teeth found the commandant's arm and bit down hard. Then, as Gammon roared in pain, she wormed free, pivoted, and kicked him in the groin. 
The blow is savage, driving the air from the Upper Lord's lungs in an agonized wheeze and sending him crashing back down to the floor, clutching his privates. That'll do me solid, I guess, the lower lass muttered. Then she looked over her shoulder at Rand and asked, Now what? The 45th Cog Torque was, in a word, breathtaking. His armor was a shimmering layer of pure gold without so much as a seam, never mind clasps or buttons. It moved when he moved, making him seem more living statue than man. Strange symbols were etched in the gilded surface, lines of them running along his arms and legs, across his chest and back, and up onto his helmet. Ainsley couldn't read them, but she recognized their look. The language of the forebearers. Then Tork's eyes met hers, and she realized that his irises were no longer brown. They, too, were gold. It all made Ainsley quiver in a way that seemed completely out of place, considering the continuing danger that surrounded them. Besides, she thought bitterly, he isn't mine. That thought pierced her heart as surely as any keeper's bullet. Torque said, Two of the Vindicators are down and done, but there's a third. Maybe it's not working yet, Ainsley suggested. Or there are problems with it, and that's why Gammon hasn't used it. Lucy replied, Maybe, but it's not something we can count on. Besides, there's still an army of keepers out there. Matron Barrett had sent another acolyte up to the bell tower, and she'd phoned with the news that a keeper force, at least a hundred strong, now choked the streets in front of the cathedral. They seemed disorganized and uncertain, perhaps waiting for Gammon to reappear and wondering what to do if he didn't. But they were there. I could face them down, Tork said, but I can't be everywhere at once. I don't want to risk a second bunch coming in here from another direction. Sister Norris shook her head. I can't believe they actually attacked us. Well, you better start believing it, Lucy snapped, marching up to the startled acolyte. Haven't you been paying attention? Look at those doors. Gammon and Baird aren't following the old rules. Not anymore. That may be, Matron Barrett replied from nearby. But this remains Jai's house. We, she gestured at her acolytes, are her daughters and all of you are under our protection. I feel so safe now, muttered Lucy, except it wasn't Jai who just saved all our lives. She pointed at Tork. It was him. Tork shifted uncomfortably, but the matron was undeterred. I suggest we all walk out of here together with our heads held high. It's one thing to send a mechanical monster into a cathedral. It's another to gun down Jai's clergy in the open street. That's crazy, Lucy exclaimed. No, she's right, Tork said. We can't fight our way out of this. What we need is a lesson from Stuart Crichton. What we need is showmanship. I say we line up and head out of here with Gammon as our prisoner. Then we dare the keepers to do something about it. Lucy gaped at him disbelievingly. There are a hundred armed luds out there. If we walk out of here with Gammon in tow, they'll just gun us down and take him back. They can't gun Tork down, Ainsley pointed out. Not anymore. They won't gun anybody down, Rand said. They won't risk hitting their commandant. And they won't rush us either, because most of them have already seen what I can do in the market plaza. If we keep moving, confident but non-threatening, I think they'll leave us alone. You think? Lucy asked him. I think, Torque replied, facing her. Unless you've got a better idea. Lucy clearly didn't. It's a risk, Matron Barrett admitted. What isn't anymore? Ainsley wondered aloud. The remark earned her a smile from Torque, his golden eyes shining like jewels. Her knees suddenly went weak, and feeling ridiculous, she willed herself to stand up straight. Well, Lucy, he asked, 
Are you with me? Idiot, the lower girl replied. I'm always with you. But where will we go? Penelope asked. She looked as if her sister's betrayal had aged her ten years. That's what you all have to decide, Torque replied. Lucy, Jad, and I are going back down the drop. You're all upper folk, but you're welcome to come with us. Lucy made a derisive sound, but said nothing. Matron Barrett replied, My place is here. I won't leave Jai's children just because the political winds have shifted. Her acolytes nodded in agreement. Gerard and I will go with you, Ainsley told Torque. There's nothing for us here anymore. Still in Penelope's arms, the little boy nodded wordlessly. Meanwhile, Penelope looked stricken. I can't go. I have my family. Her voice broke. My sister. I'm sorry, Penny, said Ainsley. Do you think she's all right? Penelope asked in such a pleading way that Ainsley's heart broke a little. Or, more precisely, a little more. Who cares? Lucy asked. Don't, Ainsley told her, not unkindly. The lower girl colored. Then she nodded. I'm sure she's fine, Matron Barrett offered. The keepers probably escorted her home. What about that lud she likes? Lucy asked suddenly. And with a shock, Ainsley realized that they'd forgotten about Percy. So they all went to look, dragging the Commandant along with them and leaving a single acolyte to keep watch at the shattered entrance. Gammon's ankles and wrists were manacled using the Commandant's own shackles, and a gag made out of his uniform socks had been shoved in his mouth. Bound this way, and as barefoot as any lower folk, Gammon could hardly walk. Torque had to grip his upper arm to support him. Red-faced with consternation, the Commandant nevertheless cooperated. They found Keeper Percy right where they'd left him. His manacled wrist was bruised and bloody, as if he'd been trying, without success, to worry it off. When he spied them coming, he mustered what dignity he could and glared up from the floor of the transept. Then he noticed Torque and Torque's prisoner, and his expression went slack with fear. Gammon glared helplessly at Percy, the gag effectively silencing him. Torque stood over the young Keeper, his golden eyes taking in the scene. As Ainsley watched, his gaze touched the runes written on the wall above the bench where Lucy had lain. He smiled thinly and muttered something under his breath, almost too faint to catch. It sounded like, reboot, whatever that meant. Then he looked down at Percy and said, I'm going to let you go. Percy said nothing. Do you understand me, Upper Lud? Torque pressed. Percy swallowed and nodded. Torque went on. In return, you're going to take a message to whoever's in charge of the keepers outside. Tell them that, at thirteen bells, we're all coming out. We'll be walking from here to the drop, and we'll have your commandant as our prisoner. We won't cause any trouble, but if someone tries to stop us, I'll hit them with everything I've got, and at best, they'll have to explain how they managed to get Gammon deaded. Solid? Percy finally spoke. What are you? With a sigh, Tork crouched down and brought his mask close to the keeper. I'm exactly what you think I am, the lowest champion replied. Now... Do you can? Yes. Good. Thirteen bells. That's in about fifteen minutes, got it? Got it. Torque nodded. Lucy offered the key, but Torque simply tapped the manacle chain with his pipe. At once, the metal turned white-hot and melted away, without so much as scorching the bench, the floor, or the shackled man. Then, with his other hand, he grabbed the keeper's lapel and pulled him to his feet. Go, he said. Percy stared at him, his face pale. Then gradually he started toward the mouth of the transept. Torque added, Why don't you run? Percy ran. Torque waited until the echoes of the keeper's footfalls faded, then he turned to Matron Barrett. Will you walk with us to the drop? The acolytes looked decidedly unhappy about the suggestion, but their matron replied, Of course. With a nod, he faced Penelope. Three choices. 
You can stay here alone, come to the lowers with us, or walk with us as far as the drop and then stay behind with Matron Barrett and her lasses. It's your call. The upper girl looked pleadingly at Ainsley. Don't leave me. I can't stay, Ainsley replied. Not after everything that's happened. But this is your home. They killed my parents, Penny. And Frederick and Eunice. Even if they somehow let us stay here, how could we go back to our house, our school, our lives, knowing that? Gerard, who'd left Penelope and come to his sister's side, now stiffened. Ainsley put her arm around his thin shoulders, knowing it was meager comfort. Then she noticed Lucy doing the same thing for Jad. So much death. I... Penelope began. Then she buried her face in her hands. It's all right, child, Matron Barrett said. I'll speak to your family. We'll sort out this terrible business with your sister. Trust the goddess. She'll look after you. Lucy looked about to say something, and probably not a nice something, but Ainsley caught her eye, and for once the lower girl kept her peace. Meanwhile, Penelope tearfully nodded. Then let's all get ready, Torque said. Torque and his friends march toward freedom, but is it going to be as easy as that? Find out on the next episode of Torque by Ty Drago. If you just can't stand the wait, the full novel is available in paperback and ebook formats on Amazon.com. Thanks for listening.